Hello, and welcome to our newest episode of SB to MD. Undergraduate students looking to prepare for medical school often feel lost when attempting to gain clinical hours and experience. It can be difficult to know what counts and where to look for opportunities. So today we're joined by Anthony Skochan and Frankie Matos to discuss clinical hours and research experiences and how to seek these out. So grab your headphones and let's jump in. So uh, today we're going to be talking about research hours and clinical hours, which is an important part of applying to med school. Is there a certain amount of clinical hours a student should have for med school? Are there any exceptions to this? So I think that there is definitely a requirement to have clinical hours. I don't know the exact amount that schools are looking for all the time. It varies because the schools are trying to take into account all of your experiences, but I would say that definitely a couple hundred of clinical hours, just the more you have, the better off you'll be because you'll have a better understanding of what you want to do or if you actually want to do this. So that's the point of these clinical hours is just to make sure you actually want to do medicine and that you have an interest or an idea of what it's actually like. And we'll talk more about it later to parse it out, but I think people might be a little confused about what clinical hours are, so they don't have to be too stressed. Like clinical hours can be a job, it can be volunteering, like there's plenty of different ways to fill clinical hours. So something like a couple hundred hours is actually only like a month and a half, potentially. But the biggest thing with med schools is that they're trying to see like a dedication from you to the field of medicine. You're showing interest to the field of medicine before actually applying. It's great and all to have like, you know, research or like great grades. But if there's no shown interest, then that's when medical schools might be timid. Okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. What can students do if they're on the lower side to make up for it? I know you guys said there isn't like a set number. So I actually had a friend back home that volunteered at a hospital. And and granted, this was during COVID. But there are a lot of volunteer jobs that you can get at hospitals. Some of them might be more clinical than others. but It's a really easy way to be able to get in the door. Volunteering is a very easy way to be able to make up some clinical hours without officially trying to find a job, which I know a lot of people assume that getting a job in the clinical field is the first and foremost way to do it. But you can also volunteer. And the way to do that, I think, is I would recommend just like reaching out to different departments and hospitals. It might not necessarily be, you know, like the chief of rheumatology or, you know, reaching out to an attending in a certain department. It could just be as simple as reaching out to hiring staff, whether it's HR or something, and just asking, like sending, you can send a resume and say, you know, I'm a student at XYZ. Uh, I've done these research projects, if that's pertinent to volunteering, or I've done this clinical experience before I'm an EMT, et cetera. And then you can just let them know like, hey, like I'm, I'm interested in volunteering. Are there any opportunities that could immerse me into a clinical field? I totally agree. I think it can be helpful to reach out to the volunteer offices at hospitals. Um, They typically have a volunteer office. I know that it was more difficult to fulfill these volunteer positions during COVID. And that's when more people took on the role of paid positions in the hospitals to get clinical experience. But hopefully the volunteer organizations or volunteer staff are uh, more robust now Um, You could definitely do it with volunteer work. You could do it with paid work, but just start early 
and start the process early because it takes time to get into the hospital to get all of your medical clearance with your vaccinations, titers, just to make sure that you're safe to actually be in the hospital. It's it's definitely doable either way. And I will second that as well, because when I first got a job, sure, it was during COVID, but the COVID vaccine wasn't the only thing that they actually required me to have. So Anthony brings up a good point is I think it took like over a month for me to onboard officially because I had to get titers, like you mentioned. Um, I think it was a TB test in advance as well. So there's a bunch of things you have to satisfy before they're willing to let you go into a hospital. These are things that you want to start early. You know, it might be four or five months before you officially land a spot, a couple months of searching and then a month of onboarding. So start early. Yeah, I remember last year I applied to volunteer at the Stony Brook Hospital. And um, I didn't realize beforehand the a whole bunch of tests I needed to do like I need like the TB test like you said and what's um insane is that the testing that you have to do like if you're negative for all these things it only will last like a couple of months so I did this at the end of the spring semester and then I realized oh I'm not going to be back until August and the test isn't even going to count until then so you really got to like what you were saying, Frankie, about planning it in advance, but also making sure that's still going to be while you're actually, if you're working at like a university hospital, while you're still like at the university. Um, so moving on, I know that some pre-med students are confused as to what they can do to get some clinical hours. What are examples of what does and does not constitute as clinical hours? Sure. So right off the bat, I think one misconception that we can clear up is the difference between clinical hours and shadowing hours. Shadowing is typically not seen as clinical hours because if it's more of a passive event where you are just watching another healthcare provider, typically a physician in our case, who is performing treatments on patients or checkups, whatever it may be, so since that's a more passive event, you're not actually gaining any experience treating patients or in patient care. Whereas clinical experience is really you are part of the team in some way. So whether that's volunteering in the cardiac cath lab by just greeting patients, talking to them, making them feel more comfortable, getting them some things that they may want, whether it's a warming blanket or water, if they can drink water, Things like that, whether you could be an EMT or possibly even a paramedic, but I know more so people in undergrad or pre-med are EMTs, and that's involved, especially with patient care, just transporting to the hospital, making sure they're stable. You can also be a medical assistant, which can have an outpatient office role if you're not so into being in the hospital, so that'll consist of taking vitals and making sure that the correct patient is in the room before they see the physician. Uh, you can also be a medical scribe. So that's charting basically what's happening in the patient encounter. And that'll definitely get you a lot of experience with like seeing different conditions and typing them out and seeing how medicine is actually communicated, which is something I wish I did because it's so important to be able to communicate the things that we need to uh, just to make sure that patient care is effective and efficient. And I think I will add in the part of, I, I mentioned planning ahead, you know, if you have to get like vaccines or tests, things like that, planning ahead in terms of if you're looking for a job as well is 
some of the hospitals or clinics, depending on where you're applying, might require certain certifications, I guess you could say, in order to become a, you know, a medical assistant or a, a scribe, things like that. Or they might expect a certain amount of years. But the big thing I'm trying to mention here is that I think when I first started applying for jobs, I was trying to apply to a lot of MA positions. And granted, it was during COVID, so they were most likely trying to put a freeze on a lot of the hiring, but they were also trying to only hire experienced MAs who also had a certification. It's something to consider if you're applying to a job is, do I have the certification? It could be even be phlebotomy. You know, do I have phlebotomy certification? Some of these things are, you know, you can take a class for six weeks and you have a certain certification and that's enough. Now you can go find a job employment for it. But it's something to consider. And the the last thing I'll mention is even things like the lab, depending on what kind of lab you end up doing or where you work at a hospital in the lab, can technically be swayed as like a clinical experience. Because, for example, I worked in pathology. I was working with pathologists a lot. They were reading slides all day. And, you know, pathologists are doctors, too. You know, I think it's like a forgotten field, kind of how radiologists are kind of considered, you know, they're just the x-ray people, you know, they're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, So are the pathologists. So patient interactions and pathology might not be as high. But if you're working in like the phlebotomy part of the lab, you're going to be seeing patients every day. If you're showing patients, you know, how to collect certain tests or do certain things, you're going to be talking to patients every day. So those kinds of things also count as clinical experience and pointing off of Anthony with all those different jobs or volunteer things that you can do. There's so much out there. So don't limit yourself to, you know, one or two things. Definitely broaden your scope and see what, you know, you might be interested in. Absolutely. And along the lines of other positions that you could try uh, with clinical experience, there are other positions where you'll need more certifications or degrees. So things like more non-traditional students who will transition into wanting to go to medical school. So maybe they became an occupational therapist or a physical therapist or a dietitian. Those positions are definitely clinical experience because at the end of the day, as long as you're dealing with patients or with patient specimens like a pathologist, like Frankie was saying, or any type of patient care, that can be considered clinical experience. And you can definitely look things up just to make sure um, that other people are thinking the same way or just reach out to your peers. But at the end of the day, patient care counts as clinical experience. Oh, awesome. And leading off of that, the fact that there's like so many different ways to get clinical experience, what are some examples of how you guys got the majority of your clinical hours? Where was that? So I just mentioned the part about working in a pathology lab. So um, when I graduated from college, I first started applying to a lot of hospital jobs. I knew I was taking a gap year. Didn't realize it would end up being two, but I knew that I was taking one gap year at the time. So I was trying to apply, throwing my application around. I lived in Boston in that area at the time. So, you know, any, any of the hospitals around Boston, I was trying to throw it into research, clinical experience, you know, basically anything. I knew there was a hiring freeze at a lot of places. Even in the private sector, I had thrown around my application to, I think, some of the pharmaceutical companies just to be able to have my application as far ranging as possible. And I will say it took me a while. Again, I I know I keep giving the caveat that it was COVID, but it took me, I think, four months until I got an interview anywhere. And then from there, I think it was the sixth month when I was officially hired, actually at the hospital down the street from where I was living. And... It was great because it was like a walking commute, but it was with the the expectation that 
I was getting paid, and this is where I mentioned like the the low aspect of pay. I was getting paid minimum wage after already having graduated from college, and a lot of my peers either didn't have a college degree or were still in college, still making you know same or more. You know, you kind of have to put up with the entry level position, but it at least helps you get to the end goal, which everyone is trying to get towards medical school. And so I was hired into a pathology lab. And I will say that I actually worked my way up from the bottom where I was just working in what they call the core laboratory, which is um, where they run all the blood and urine tests for anything that comes through the hospital. Any inpatient is having their blood tested there and then worked my way up all the way to the pathology side where I was actually grossing specimens. And it also meant that I could work with the pathologists a lot one-on-one uh, because after afterwards they knew I was going to medical school or was applying. So there were times where they would pull me aside and be like, oh, you want to check out the slide, you know, see what we got from this breast tissue today. And they would show me different things while I was also grossing the specimens. So it was awesome to be able to do that. And had lots of patient interactions. Most of them were over the phone, but even with the phlebotomy lab, I didn't draw blood personally, but I helped out in the phlebotomy lab from time to time, directing patients or collecting the tubes of blood, which is part of what I was doing at the beginning. So I had my fair share of patient interactions, but I worked at that lab for almost two years. It was a year and eight months, I think, before I finally left, maybe a year and nine months. So it was definitely a while there. So definitely hit, you know, their imaginary, you know, 200, 300, you know, a few hundred clinical hours. But it was definitely worth the experience. Um, Being able to work behind the scenes with pathologists gives me a broader understanding of what goes on, you know, and and what often is like the basement. You know, you send a blood sample down to the lab. You don't really know what happens to it for three hours. And then they tell you someone's calcium levels. Like, you know, what happens behind the scenes? Now I know. So even if I don't end up going into pathology, I have a respect and admiration for what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, those pathologists don't get enough respect, let me tell you. And for me, with my clinical experience, I started volunteering in the emergency department uh, at a hospital near my hometown. And it was the first summer after my first year of undergrad. Uh, It was at New York Presbyterian Hudson Valley Hospital. And I just served as an emergency room volunteer And really, I would just greet patients when they came in, mostly to the triage section of the emergency department, and just made sure that they were okay, made sure if there was a pediatric patient that we had like a program that gave away toys or coloring books to pediatric patients. So that was really cool. It introduced me to like my first area of medicine in acute care. Most of the time, it was pretty low acuity, so it wasn't too urgent of issues, just issues that people had to come in for that were, you know, maybe some concerning, but not so urgent. My next volunteer experience that was a clinical experience was in the cardiac catheterization lab at Robert Wood Johnson Hospital, uh, right next to my undergrad university at Rutgers. So that was during my second year of college. And that experience actually got cut short because I started the experience in January 2020. And then March 2020, everything shut down. I did love that experience, though, because I love cardiovascular health. And I loved seeing what they were doing in the cath lab. And they brought me back to the cath lab itself, where they were doing some patient procedures, just so I can see what they were actually doing and what these patients were here for. So it gave me more of a purpose as to why I was volunteering and what these patients were about to go through, which I thought was really nice. And my last major clinical experience was working with the Rutgers football team as a 
sports medicine assistant, basically. Another phrase that we like to call it was like a student athletic trainer or like an assistant to that. So essentially, I was just with the athletes, like pre and post practice, pre and post game, making sure that they were getting their rehab in, any rehabilitation techniques. So if if it was some modalities with uh, laser treatments or massage treatments, and I was also kind of just hauling around like any sports medicine equipment. So that was such a fun experience, though, being with sports medicine and seeing that aspect of healthcare was really cool. And actually, my last clinical experience, which I listed as clinical experience on my application, and I think a lot of people didn't really know how to classify it, was being a crisis text counselor. And so essentially with that, you had to go through a number of hours of training, and then you would log on a certain amount of times per week. And basically this crisis text line is available for anyone who is in a crisis. They can text this line, and then you serve as a counselor to make sure that they are safe. And if they are not, um, you can escalate it to something else, something greater to make sure they are safe. But other times you'll use a lot of techniques just so you're there to talk them through what they're going through. And most of the time it's like a sad situation or something more urgent where they're in fear of hurting themselves. So I think that was a clinical experience for me because I was looking it up at the time and it was a fairly new thing. And I was just like, you know what, what the heck, we'll go for it. And I put it as clinical experience on my application and I don't think it hurt. So that was something different. So of course, as we're talking about um, clinical hours to look for, there of course are clinical hours we want to avoid. What does that look like? So I will mention that um, it's potentially a little ill-fitting on an application for some of the organizations that might have you travel out of country. And the, the reason they might be a little ill-fitting is there are often those organizations that try to attract college students with these grand you know, medical tours and they go to other countries and provide medical care and they're, they're doing great for the community. And while I agree that this is probably a service that the community could benefit from in whatever country you end up traveling to, whether it's a South American country, African country, um, it, it's one thing to be a little timid to boast it on your application if, for example, you weren't qualified to be doing what you were doing on the trip. Oftentimes, people don't have MA certification, which it could include EMT training or things like that, but then they end up doing a ton of stuff on the trip that they should not have been doing. Or oftentimes even like interpreting, which, uh, you know, sometimes people are just given like a small crash course on how to interpret a language and might have only learned, you know, middle school Spanish. And then they're traveling to a South American country and trying to interact with patients and have no idea what they're saying. But because they're the only person there that speaks any Spanish at all, they can, they just count it as like it's good enough. So these are kind of the things that I want to make sure that students are trying to avoid and there's plenty of organizations out there that are actually doing well and benefit the communities that they're traveling to and so this is something that as a student you should be looking for the ones that are only doing things to benefit the community with you know like all these aspects taken into account i know the the term like saviorism or things like that is now becoming a, a huge thing that people are considering when they're going into volunteer opportunities. So these are things to consider when you're volunteering and then whether or not you're including that on an application. So making sure that they're taking these things into account so that they're not putting themselves at a higher pedestal than they, they really are. 
Yeah, it's definitely something to consider. And what's also important to realize is these programs can cost a lot of money. So I would always see these flyers up on little cork boards uh, throughout the buildings at Rutgers. And I would be like, wow, it was really cool at first glance. And then I realized thousands of dollars would need to be spent to go there. And then I was like, that kind of warded me off at first glance. But then I actually looked into the program and like what it was about. And that also got me a little concerned. And I was like, oh, I don't know if this is something I want to do. And I think it's also important to have clinical experience here because you need to learn how the U.S. medical system works just a little bit. Of course, you're not going to get the full span of it, but over time you will. And of course, it's important because you will be here practicing medicine, hopefully, and you need to see how it's done here. I will also say, though, there are definitely people who have grown up that are not in the U.S. and maybe they or did not grow up in the U.S. and they were able to do other medical experiences that were allowed in their country, maybe. So if you were, let's say, a person who was born in another country and you were able to do certain clinical experiences there that are not common here in the U.S., I think that's okay to include on your application just because it it fits into your story of where you came from and who you are. So I think that's different from like going to a program while you're born in the U.S. and, and doing it somewhere else, definitely. So now pivoting the conversation to research programs, um, there are so many research opportunities to get involved in on SBU's campus, as is the case for many pre-med and STEM schools. Should students look for research programs that directly correlate with what they hope to do in the future? And is it a concern if they don't? That's a great question. I don't think it's necessary to correlate your research experience to what you want to do in the future. I think your research experience has to be something that actually interests you and something that you can even get into. I know it's difficult itself to get research experience a lot of the times uh, at these bigger universities or maybe even smaller universities just because there's less opportunities. But I would say if you can find something or a lot of different opportunities that you can get into, find the one that piques your interest. And maybe you don't have to necessarily see how it will benefit you in the long term, but really gaining research experience is a lot about seeing how research works, the process, how difficult it can be at times to work through these challenges of just thinking in a methodical way and thinking about the scientific method. I think that's an important factor of research. So It'll be cool if it can be used later on in your career, but it's absolutely not necessary. And also, there are research programs that you can do during the summer, a lot of the times after your first year of undergrad. And those are great, too, if you have the time to dedicate in that summer. A lot of those programs will give you a stipend. So whether that helps you live at the university or just gives you a little extra money, that's great. They're just compensating you for the work you're doing. And those programs can be a little difficult or competitive to get into because a lot of people want to go into them. But I think you should try. There are especially other programs that are fit or designed to attract students of certain backgrounds, Um, whether you're underrepresented in medicine, there are programs there that will attract those applicants. So yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of research opportunities or ways to go about research. And uh, it doesn't have to correlate to what you want to do. And it can fit into your timeline pretty well. 
completely agree with the doing something that you enjoy. <clears throat> when I was in college, I ended up doing research with, uh, as I mentioned, a butterfly lab, Lepidoptera, if you want to be official, but most people just would call it a butterfly lab. And it was something that really interested me because I was studying evolution for my major in college. It's called integrative biology, but evolution is essentially what it's considering. And it was awesome to be able to work in the butterfly lab because I could see firsthand, you know, moths and butterflies, how intertwined those different groups are and how technically some moths are more related to butterflies than they are to the rest of the moths. It's cool to be able to see that in your research, actually enjoy what you're doing, and then be able to put that on an application and talk about it during your interviews. I think the worst thing would be is if you're solely trying to find some sort of medical research, trying to do some clinical research, and then you have a terrible experience, but you're forced to try to talk about it during an application and you have nothing to say. Some of these things, like, sure, your interview isn't that long. It's usually if it's if you're talking about research experience, it's one of those longer one hour interviews. But, you know, it's nothing that's three hours long. So you don't have to worry about talking about research for 20 minutes. But if you can't talk for more than 30 seconds about your research experience, then potentially it wasn't well suited for you. So that's definitely something that I would consider when you're trying to apply towards these research positions. And then I will also add the summer part because I was a victim of waiting too long to apply to some of these summer programs that were really hard to get into. So make sure that if you're trying to apply to some of these summer programs that whether they give you a stipend or housing, things like that, they're very well sought after. So make sure that you're looking into the requirements in advance. The reason I fell behind was I needed letters of recommendation that each had to be submitted individually. So I applied to one organization. I applied to one, didn't realize that each one had to have the letter of recommendation uploaded separately. I kind of thought it was like the AMCAS system where they just uploaded it once and that was it. Um, so then I had to keep emailing the professor that had written the letter for me. And I felt terrible because obviously you're not trying to bog down this professor's email with a bunch of requests to send in a letter of recommendation. But it meant that I couldn't submit my application until like the very last minute and or I was late on submitting some of the applications. So definitely trying to be familiar with the website in advance, trying to be familiar with the application process and going from there. I think a lot of these opportunities would be awesome over the summer, but I'll just add like I didn't end up getting the opportunity because I only submitted two of the like, I think five applications I wanted to because it was either too late or wasn't able to get the recommendation in until like the last moment and oftentimes it ends up being where they might have a rolling basis for the research opportunity. So I, you know, wasn't able to get a research position that summer. So definitely look into it early if you're going to try. So it can be a daunting task to try and get involved in the research community. I know that getting research opportunities can be difficult. So how do you find research opportunities in general? How do you make those kind of connections? So I know it's not the most recommended thing to just cold call every professor you've ever had, but it worked. <laughs> so in college, I think it, it's very hard at some universities. Like, like Anthony was saying, large universities, it's hard because there's a mass amount of students who want research. Small universities, it's hard because there's not as many opportunities available. So at a lot of universities, they're going to have their problems one way or another in terms of how you can access research. but at the time, it was hard for me because I transitioned from one major to another. I was originally going to declare math and then ended up switching in junior year 
So I was kind of late to the game of trying to figure out a research PI to be able to work with in, you know, this new evolution major that I was doing. So I ended up emailing a lot of different professors, emailed my Dean of Undergraduate Studies, which shout out to Dr. Barry and his wife, Dr. Pierce, because Dr. Barry is the Dean of Undergraduate Studies that I had who actually connected me with his wife who ran the Butterfly Lab. So he mentioned, yeah, she's looking for summer interns if you'd like to work at the lab with her and then it'll potentially butt into a position during the semester and it did, it, it worked out great. I was happy that I emailed as many people as I did. A lot of the other professors, they said, unfortunately at this time, we're not accepting any students were at full capacity or some of them just didn't respond and that's okay, that's how things work. But definitely like putting your name out there and just saying, hi, I'm looking for a research opportunity are you guys taking on students? And then you can send your resume if necessary, but don't scare the professor either on the first email. Don't cold call them and don't cold email them and be like, hey, like I'm trying to get a research opportunity. Here's my resume. Here's an application, you know, and then like send them everything under the sun. They're probably just going to get too flustered and say like, uh, we're not looking for anyone, you know, done. Let them respond to you and say either we are looking for someone or aren't and then go from there. Another beneficial way to connect with research opportunities is going to school fairs or research fairs. Typically, at the beginning of the year, I think a lot of universities do it, but at Rutgers, they had an involvement fair. And that was just a way for first-year students to get involved with different clubs or opportunities on campus. And at the involvement fair, that's actually where I met for the first time my PI that I would eventually work with in undergrad. and. Even though I wasn't sure exactly if I wanted to do that research, it was nice to get that first like first opportunity to meet them and just say hello and show face. So that was a really cool way to go about it. And I would also say that some research opportunities or labs will actually have almost like a Google form to fill out your interests. So definitely look on the lab's website or webpage if they have one. Typically, it'll be tied with the departments or the university's department, whichever it may be. It'll just be related to that lab. And just see what they're doing in the lab itself before applying. Just make sure you have an idea of why you want to be in the lab. It could be helpful to, to fill out any like interest form they have. I know specifically talking about Stony Brook University, those fairs that you were talking about, Anthony, I know they definitely have them in the fall semester. I also know that a great way to get notified about these fairs is on uh, job sites like Handshake. So I followed on Handshake a bunch of different, like this was last year, I followed a bunch of different organizations. So I followed Stony Brook University, the Stony Brook University Medical School. I followed Northwell Health. And I would get emails being like, oh, Northwell Health is coming to Stony Brook University to look for people to do volunteer, people to do clinical hours. And you literally get an email notification of, hey, we're looking for people. So I feel like that's a great way. I know particularly for Stony Brook University students to get notified of all these opportunities. And at these fairs, I saw 
um, some of the clinical hours we were talking about before with um, like you could transport, like you'd be one of the people like transporting patients on the gurneys, you'd be working in the emergency medicine department. And it's like, there's a whole bunch of different opportunities. If you just subscribe to the emails, it makes it a thousand times easier because you literally get notified whenever they come anywhere near campus. So kind of a summarizing question about everything we talked about today regarding clinical hours and research opportunities. Um, we have talked in the past about aspects of your medical school applications that stood out and really made a difference in the admission process. Are there certain kinds of research programs slash clinical hours that schools prefer to see on an application and any personal experience with that um, standout aspect that you guys may have? I think that the experience that you gain has to matter to you, and that's what counts or matters the most. It has to affect you in some way that it affected your way of thinking or the way you go about things and your perspective on whatever it may be, whether it's academics, research, or the world. I do think that you have to get clinical experience no matter what. Research experience is not required, but it's definitely helpful so that it shows you are involved in the academic process and you understand how we improve our processes in medicine and other areas. But I think that it's most important to be passionate about what you're doing. As far as the clinical experiences, though, definitely make sure that it's something you are interacting with patients. So if it's something that you're unsure, you can always reach out to different peers or other medical students that you may know that have uh, gone to medical school, see if They've heard of other people doing those clinical experiences, and you want to just make sure you're doing something that will benefit you in the end, if that's your ultimate goal. But obviously, the more common things that you can do, they'll definitely count as clinical experience. On the other hand, if you do something that maybe not so many people do as clinical experience, it may be a little more unique, which will also be really cool. So yeah, I think doing something that interests you with research and Something with clinical experience that actually counts as patient care is, is most important. Definitely 100% will back that where if you're going to do anything, do something you enjoy. Do something that you're passionate about. Do not go into your clinical and research opportunities thinking that it's just like a task you have to check off. So whichever one you get is fine. Ultimately, yes, oftentimes, whichever one you get is fine. But try to do something that you're going to be passionate about in the long run. As I mentioned earlier, if you can talk about your research opportunity for you know 30 minutes on end, that's great. That means you did something that you genuinely had a great time doing or you learned a lot through it. It might have been a rough experience if you were doing a lot of wet lab and you know, there was a lot of things. But oftentimes that's also beneficial for med schools to see is that you were willing to put in the hours and the dedication to be able to do that. Because... Research isn't really going anywhere. When you're in medical school, um, depending on which specialty you want to go into, you'll, you'll still have to churn out research papers too to be able to apply to certain specialties. So definitely showing the interest and showing that you're able to stay in the process is great. But again, do something that you're passionate about. Don't go into this thinking that you just have to check off a box and that's it. So if I'm giving my two cents about like what's the most impactful for your application, it's something that you truly loved and truly enjoyed. One thing I can add about research experience is that you don't always have to produce something so that there's an end product. 
a lot of the times with research labs, it could be difficult or it takes a long time for their work to come out, especially with wet lab stuff, notoriously, because it takes a long time to go through the process of pipetting and culturing different things or whatever it may be, just to make sure that the work is accurate. And also some of the times, even if the work is accurate, sometimes in the end, it just doesn't work out the way you wanted it to. And then you have to repeat the process all over again. So similar to what Frankie was saying about making sure that um, you understand how tedious some things can be with research is part of the process. So what I wanted to really come down to is that you don't always have to produce work. And production typically looks like abstracts or posters, or even if you're lucky enough to get on a publication. But if you're able to, that's great too. And that'll just show the schools that you are able to produce something with the lab and kind of work efficiently with them. But at the same time, don't worry if you weren't able to get those opportunities. Just make sure that you're able to talk about it during an interview if it's asked, and make sure that you come up with an interesting story on your medical school application about the research and what you were doing exactly. I think that actually makes it to be a better description of the research rather than just stating your publications like down the list. I think it makes for a more interesting story. I can add something as well in terms of that. So <clears throat> another important thing to remember in terms of research is that oftentimes your senior thesis, if you're writing one, will also count towards whatever research you might be doing. So I know some people will be doing a senior thesis in like a science related field where they're already doing research, they're doing wet lab, et cetera. That already counts as doing research. There's dedicated hours towards doing research. Oftentimes a senior thesis is way more than what some of these uh, research experiences might be otherwise. So definitely include that and push that. If you get a publication, that's awesome. You know, be able to talk about the publication, why it mattered to you potentially, things like that. But at the end of the day, I will wholeheartedly also agree with Anthony is that there doesn't need to be an end pro uh, an end game. There doesn't need to be an end product. If you're doing the research, you know, even even for a senior thesis, I, I've seen people go through, you know, eight months of research for their senior thesis starting junior year. And then the end product was that the experiment didn't pan out. And so they write their senior thesis and obviously they describe everything they did. They talk about all their experimental controls and what might have gone wrong but that ultimately is still showing that you were still in the experimental process and still doing the research in general you know it sucks that at the end of the, at the end of the day your you know finished product of your senior thesis is just something that didn't work out but it's still all all about the process it's all about what you did to get there and so yeah at the end of the day you don't need some sort of major paper it doesn't need to go into nature or some major research journal that isn't necessary. What's what's necessary is that you really do something you enjoy and that when you end it, you're able to talk about it and say why it was important towards your application to medical school. Thank you so much, Anthony and Frankie, for sharing your expertise on both clinical hours and research programs. Uh, thank you, Anthony, for coming on our podcast again. Um, thank you everyone to li for listening and we hope to see you in the next episode.